Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're playing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that we did back on March the 2nd, 2015. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Welcome, come on in. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids because we are baby boomers. But you're all welcome, and I know you're all going to love our lineup tonight. We have got an episode of Frontier Gentlemen that's kind of lighthearted and fun. We have an episode of the Jack Benny Show that has all the Benny shtick and will make you laugh out loud. We've got a good episode of Gunsmoke in which the long branches for sale, and there's some controversy there that Matt has to uh, sort out. And then we're going to end things up with a winter story from one of the greatest storytellers who ever lived, especially on radio, Gene Shepard. And I think you're really going to enjoy this story about when he was a kid in northern Indiana and one of the worst snowstorms they'd had so that's the lineup. If you're like me, you just want something warm to drink and maybe a bowl of chili or a warm bowl of stew and get settled in front of the fireplace and relax because our show is going to get started in just a moment. You know, in all fairness, here in Missouri, it hasn't been a bad winter. We're supposed to get a pretty good snow tonight, seven inches maybe. I don't know. They're saying between four, three to four to seven. So who knows? 
depending on, uh, I guess, which way the the wind blows, as they say. But uh, I know a lot of you folks in the country, man, you have really been socked in this winter, and I, I feel for you. I do feel for you. I think about the, <laughs> you folks up in New England, and my goodness. Well, hopefully we can uh, ease the pain a little bit with our show tonight. We've got some really good, good stuff coming up. We're going to end the show, like I said earlier, with a story from Gene Shepard. And most people know Gene Shepard from A Christmas Story, the movie. He narrated it. He was still alive at that time. And it was based on characters in his lifetime that he used to talk about on his radio show all the time. I lived in New York City while Gene Shepard was on the air. I lived there from 68 to 72. And I think I've said this before, so I I don't mean to repeat myself for those of you that have been listening to me for a long time. But I don't know that I ever heard Gene Shepard. And that just kills me. Because even then, I was quite a radio buff. And I I kind of studied the stations. And I, you know, there was a lot of famous people there. William B. Williams and Bob and Ray were on. And Arthur Godfrey was still on at that time. And I used to listen to the radio when I would lay in bed at night. And uh, Gene Shepard used to come on every night on WOR. And I think he he was on for an hour. And I don't ever... I may have heard him and just didn't recognize who he was. I'll guarantee you if I heard him, it wasn't some of the nights when he was telling his great stories because I would have remembered that. But anyway, the story that he's going to tell later on in the show is a fun story and touching, very touching. But it's about a really bad snowstorm when he was a kid. But we've got other other great lineup tonight. We're going to start with a story from the Old West. We're going to start things off with an episode of Frontier Gentlemen, one of the truly great dramas from the last days of radio, the very last days of the last days of radio. This one was originally heard on June the 1st, 1958. It's entitled School Days. It features John Daner as uh, J.B. Kendall, the Frontier Gentleman. This one also has Jack Crucian, Virginia Gregg, who's very good at this, uh, Vic Perrin, Eddie Firestone, uh, Jack Moyles, and Harry Bartell. And this is sort of a light-hearted one, which uh, Anthony Ellis was very good at. He wrote this, uh, produced it, and directed it. So here you go, from 1958, this is The Frontier Gentleman and School Days. One of the prettiest women I've met in the West was very nearly the cause of violence and carnage. And to this day, I don't think she knows why. Frontier Gentlemen. Herewith, an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. 
One of the first things I noticed in Laramie, Wyoming Territory, was the intense rivalry between that town and Cheyenne on the other side of the Laramie Mountains. One read the bitter attacks and counterattacks in the opposition newspapers. One heard it on the streets. At the time I arrived in Laramie, gold had been discovered in the mountains to the south, and there was great rejoicing in this fact, which threatened to eclipse Cheyenne's claim of superiority. In the interest of fair reporting, I decided to visit the mining area with the idea of making comparisons between it and that which I had seen in Montana Territory. It was about midday when I saw the sign by the side of the trail reading Rottenhead Gulch, and a few minutes after that when I arrived at a cluster of shacks which constituted said township. I noticed three men outside an edifice which bore the legend Dirty Charlie's Saloon. Afternoon. Howdy. Sloan's closed. Oh? Yeah, voting day. Oh, I see. You voted yet? Uh, well, no. Uh, Buck, get out voting paper. Uh, got it right here, Jim. Right here, mister. <laughs> I'm not a member of your community. Does that make a difference? Well, you're a human man. That's all the difference we need. Hey, Shorty, get off from the table. Let the stranger sit comfortable like. All right, set, mister. Oh. Well. Make your mark, or you can ride it out proper if you know how. Uh, one small point. Uh, what am I voting for? Or whom? You're voting for the school mom. That's what and who. Oh. And do I vote yes or no? Well, you vote yes, mister. You vote no, you're liable to end up lying toes down. Hey, you ain't been sent by them no good goose creek boys, have you? No, I've come from Laramie. Mm. Left there this morning. That's all right, then. Look here, it, it's not that I mind voting, but I'd like to know something about it. Why, well, he told you, Shut Mr. Shut your it's mouth, Shorty. A... Man's got a right to know. That's legal. Well, sir, now it's this way. We got a school mom in Rottenhead Gulch. The school district in Laramie give her, and we aim to keep her. She's the prettiest thing you ever did see. Uh, Shorty, I'm telling you now, hobble your lip. Well, she is, ain't she, Buck? Oh, man, she is a cow bunny, and that's for sure. Now, like I say, we aim to keep her, and ain't no Goose Creek coyotes going to get her. And that's how come to vote. Now, the school district says if Goose Creek gets more votes in Rottenhead Gulch, she's going to be sent there. Ah, now I see. So you vote yes. But, um, is it legal? Well, sure it's legal. Of course it is. Look here, I'm in charge of voting. I say it's legal. (laughs) Anybody comes to this here town on voting day is a citizen of Rottenhead Gulch. Honorable like. Now, as mayor, I make you a citizen. Now you vote. All right. Hey, Buck, where at's a writing quill? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? We ain't had no voting since this morning. I guess maybe I left it in the saloon. We'll go get it. Sure, Jim. You know, I'm rather surprised to find a school teacher out here. I mean, uh, in a mining town as small as this... Uh, are there many children? Oh, shucks, mister. There ain't no kids around uh, shorty, here. That... One of these here days, that leaky mouth of yorn is going to get you a case of slow. Well, it's a truth, Jim. 
a schoolteacher with no children to teach? Rather odd, isn't it? Well, now, sir, ain't nothing odd about it. <clears throat> we aim to get us some kids as soon as we get us some women to marry up with and have the kids. But how did the school district assign her here in the first place? Well, ain't nobody asked to find out. They did, and she's here, and she's going to stay. She's been learning us. These 20 of us goes to school every night after work's done. Ain't that so, Jim? Yet there's a fact, mister. Now, maybe we ain't kids, but ain't but five of us can read and write so as you could notice it. And we figure we got a right to learn as well as any kid. Oh, I quite agree. But tell me, where does one meet this schoolteacher of yours? Well, I seen her a while back down to the creek washing some woman things. I found it, Jim. Right here. Here's a writing quill. Where that's ink. Oh. You know something? I want to tell you, that there buck, <clears throat> well, school ain't going to do him no good. You know, he ain't got enough brains to start with. <laughs> well, how many votes will you need to keep her here? Well, more than Goose Creek, that's for sure. You see, we got 20 votes in Rottenhead Gulch. Goose Creek's got maybe 30. So we just got to vote more than they do, so when the votes is counted, then we'll win. Hmm. Who, um... Counts the votes. Oh, back in Laramie. Well, as soon as the day is finished, we seal up the voting boxes and we take them up to Laramie. But won't they know that you've uh, enlarged your voting? They must be aware of the population here. Shucks, no such thing. We just got to be sure we got more signed votes in Goose Creek. That's all. And how will you know that? Well, right now it is kind of a problem. I got thing, Jim. Right here. Thing. There you go, mister. Good afternoon, boys. Well, now, good afternoon, afternoon. Miss Jones. Howdy there. I've met this gentleman. Well, no, ma'am. He's just rode in. As soon as he's finished his business, he's going to be riding right out again. Miss Jones, isn't it? Yes. My name is Kendall, Miss Jones. J.B. Kendall. How do you do, Mr. Kendall? I have been uh, hearing quite a bit about you, Miss Jones. Oh, have you? I'd like very much to talk to you as soon as I've voted. Voted? But you can't vote. James Ponder. Oh, now, ma'am, this here is man's work. I will and not you... have a dishonest ballot. I told you that before. Oh, it ain't really dishonest, Miss Jones. Jim made this fella an honorable citizen of Rottenhead Gulch, didn't you, Jim? I'm sure. very sorry, Mr. Kendall, but you cannot vote. Oh, ma'am, you just don't understand these here political things. I understand that you're trying to stuff the ballot box, and I will not have it. Has everybody in town voted? Oh, yes, ma'am. We sure have. Then in my presence, I want you to seal the box. Oh, Miss Jones. Oh, look, we can't do that. Look here, now, it, it ain't legal. Yeah, not till sundown. It just ain't legal. That's what it says right here in these here instructions from the school district in Laramie. Now, it just ain't legal. Not till sundown. If everybody's voted, it's legal. Seal the box. Yes, ma'am. That just don't seem right. Some of the other fellas didn't get to vote. Shorty, can you help me seal up this here now thing? Now, Miss Jones, uh, why don't you take Mr. Kendall and show him the schoolhouse? <laughs> I figure he'd like to see that. As a matter of fact, I would. All right. And no more voting. Is that understood? Oh, oh Miss Jones, you, Ms. I understand Jones. for sure. This way, Mr. Kendall. Are you a minor, too? <laughs> no. I'm a newspaper correspondent for the London Times. Isn't that strange? I had a feeling, not exactly, but 
You're very much like my brother. He's a reporter on a Nebraska paper. How strange. Gave me quite a start when I first saw you. Miss Jones, how long have you been here? In Rottenhead Gulch, three months. Weren't you surprised to find no children? Yes. Of course, they kept it from me for almost two weeks. I think I can understand why. Can you really, Mr. Kendall? Oh, I see. You mean because they wanted to learn themselves? Yes, you're right. And that's why you decided to stay? Yes. I suppose you think it curious that a woman devote her time to teaching 20 grown men. Not curious. Unusual, perhaps. This is the schoolhouse, Mr. Kendall. The men built it. They built the desks, benches, everything. Would you like to come inside? Very much. They even built a wooden floor, Mr. Kendall. Wooden floors are quite rare in these mining towns. I'm impressed more than I can say, Miss Jones. They have a great desire for education. I couldn't leave them. Not after they worked so hard to build this. And now? Unfortunately, word reached the people of Goose Creek that there was a school teacher here. They are a slightly larger community and feel that the school district board should assign me to their town. Besides which, there are two children in Goose Creek. I see. The board decided to have it settled by a vote. If enough residents of Goose Creek require my services and outvote the men of Rottenhead Gulch, I shall have to obey the decision of the board. Well, aren't there other teachers available? Yes. That's the strange part of it. Neither town will accept anyone but me. Of course, I'm flattered. I can't see that it really makes any difference. Can you? Well, yes. Anyway, you see... Here she is, boys. You, mister, elevate your hands high. <gasps> now, we don't aim to hurt you none, Miss Jones. You just come along with us and everything will be right fine. Mr. Kendall. Now, look here. Take care of him, Wes. I'll do that, Pa. <laughs> <laughs> moment, we return to Frontier Gentlemen. Another fascinating adventure is waiting for you on CBS Radio today, as most of these same stations present the FBI in peace and war. Today, these law enforcers go after a pair of swindlers. You'll be amazed by the cleverness of the swindlers. You'll be thrilled to learn, however, that the FBI in peace and war is cleverer still. And now, we return you to the Anthony Ellis production of Frontier Gentlemen. I seem to remember a great roaring in my ears, which, as I awoke, turned out to be the voice of James Ponder. He was kneeling over me, and seeing my eyes open, redoubled his efforts to pour a great dollop of foul-tasting whiskey down my throat. Come on, candle, it'll clear you dead. No, no, I don't. There you go. I don't need it, no. What happened? Yeah, what? Hey, where is she, candle? Help me up, will you? Well, where is she? We heard horses, and... When we got here, there wasn't nobody except you. Yeah. There were... There were three or four men. Masked. They'd taken her. Well, who was they? I don't know. Except there was a father and son. The older man called the other Wes. Uh, Wes. Jim, that's Wes over to Goose Creek. Yeah, Stomp Peter's son, Wes. I might have noted. You reckon they carried her off to beat the vote? That's what they done. What good would it do? Well, I'll tell you what good. 
They figured they got more votes than we got, and even if we maybe voted more times than them, they got her in Goose Creek. And by the time the school district gets around eyeballing around and maybe a recount, well, it'll be two, maybe three months. And by then, there's going to be a new school district board in, and the whole blame thing will have to start up again. Ooh, that no-count stomp Peters, he's about as welcome as a, a rattler in, in a dog town. Ah, dally your tongue, Shorty. Now go fetch them other boys out of the hills. We got to do something about this. Oh, we sure have, Jim. I tell you, ain't no goose creek sidewinder going to rustle our school, Mom. All right, hit the breeze, Shorty. And you too, Buck. Tell the boys to wear shooting irons. This here's going to be a powder-burning contest. An hour later, 20 men, hard-bitten miners, some of them young, others grizzled, all armed to the teeth, were gathered in Dirty Charlie's saloon. Their mood was black. And it became blacker as Jim Ponder spoke to them. That's Tom Peters. He's a no good bullwindy oily brock. He come here looking for our school, Mom, and he snatches her clean out of Rotten Head Gulch. Well, he ain't gonna get away with it. Cause we're going over to Goose Creek and we're gonna shoot up that there place like you never seen. And we're gonna get Miss Jones right back where she belongs, yeah? Where she belongs. And when we get through Stone Peters and that dingbat son of his. We're going to use them to trim a tree, yeah? Yeah, trim a tree. All right, now, get your horses, boys, and rattlehawks out of here. You got them, Miss Kendall? Oh, certainly. Likely they'll be shooting. How far is it to Goose Creek? Oh, about half a mile. All right, now, let's go! Don't you imagine they'll be expecting you? Why, sure they'll be expecting us. It's going to be a real shoot-up. Wouldn't it have been better to surprise them? What for? They know we'd be coming after them. Supposing she gets hurt. Uh, Well, now, you know, I didn't think of that. Hey, you figure maybe. With shooting, there's a chance. Boys, you hear what Kendall here says? Well, we don't want the school mom hurt. So you watch where you're shooting at, you hear? All right, now, we're going to take it real slow. Just around the next turn. All right, yeah. Hey, Kendall, you and me, we're going to keep an eye out for Miss Jones. Either one of us eyeballs her gets out of there fast, you hear? Right. There they are. Hey, look at that there, Kendall. Right in the middle of the street. Like you say, looks like they've been expecting us. Came upon Goose Creek with abrupt suddenness. The trail rounded a bend and became an elongated clearing lined on both sides with shacks. Perhaps a half dozen more than existed in Rottenhead Gulch. Between the dwellings and in the middle of the street were piled boxes, barrels, and two overturned wagons. Behind this barricade we could see the figures of men, and the reflection of sunlight on steel. Up to this point, even with my headache, the affair had been rather difficult to take seriously, but the complexion had radically changed. When we were no more than 20 yards from the defenders, Jim Ponder held up his hand. Uh, Oh, 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 everybody! Stop, Peter! What do you want, Ponder? We come to get Miss Jones and take her back to her rightful home. She's in her rightful home, just where she is. And you're a liar. 
Want to start trouble? We ain't going back without school, Marm. If you ain't going back, because you'll be shaking hands with St. Peter. Let me talk to him. This ain't no time for chewing the cud. Let's start throwing lead. Shorty, shut your mouth, will you? They're in a better position than we are. Shucks, we could ride right over them. If you lived that long. What's the matter, boys? Afraid to take the big jump? Come out, Peters. You can bring another man with you. Jim Ponder and I'll meet you between the lines. Who are you? The chap who was with Miss Jones. I told you, Pa. I told you he wasn't dead. All right. You and Ponder get off your horses. Come forward slow. You watch it, Jim. Now, don't you fret. Hey, boys. Hey, start something. You go in and finish it, yeah? Well, oh, let's go, Ken. What's your name, mister? Kendall. This here's my boy, Wes. We figured he'd killed you. I told you I didn't, Pa. What do you got to say? Where's Miss Jones? In the schoolhouse we got built for her. Is she all right? Sure, she's all right. Ain't nobody gonna hurt that pretty gal. No, sir. We ain't take her back, Stomp Peters. You're off your mental reservation if you think you can do it, Ponder. You ain't got no right to school, ma'am, no how. Why, there ain't a kid in that broken-down, flea-bitten town of yours. That don't matter. We aim to get some by and by. School district, give her to us. We just outvoted you. She's ours now. You better set your gun a-going, Stomp Peters. That what you want? I'm willing. Draw. Now, wait, wait. That won't settle anything. Well, I've never seen a better way. You get him, Pa. Cut down this here Kendall fella. Young man, I owe you something for that clout on the head, but I have no desire to kill you. <laughs> now, both of you, keep your hands in sight. You too, Jim. Huh? Hey, what's ailing you, mister? I'm on your side. Then keep your gun holster. There's no need for shooting. Uh, Peters, tell one of your men to bring Miss Jones out here. I ain't gonna do it. Hey, hey, Sam, go get the school, ma'am. Bring her out. Just what you got in mind, Kendall. You'll see. Well, it better be good. Of course, if it ain't. If and stomp Peters' boys don't get you, me or mine will. Ain't nobody pulls a gun on me and gets away with me. I think it's for the best. What are you men doing? Well, howdy, howdy, ma'am. We come to get you out of this here pest hole. (laughs) We come to save you. I've had enough of this nonsense. First I'm forced to accompany Mr. Peters against my will. Now your men are lined up waiting to kill each other. I will not have it. Do you understand? Uh, Yes, ma'am. Mr. Kendall, put away that gun. All of you. Put down those guns. All right, boys. Heard what she said. Now, pull them away. Now, Mr. Kendall, I should be obliged if you will escort me back to Laramie. La- Laramie? You, you gonna go back to Laramie? Oh, she's going to Laramie. Oh, Miss Jones. It's gone too far. If this is the example, you set your children. Uh, Miss Jones, c- could I have a word with you in private? I really don't see that that well, would... I think you will. Gentlemen, if you'll excuse us. Looks like there ain't nobody going to have her no more. Dreadful, dreadful grammar. Double, triple, negative... Miss Jones, there may be a solution, if you're willing. I don't see any way. I really don't. If they could share you? Share me? I mean your teaching. The towns are only a half mile apart. It might be possible. No, Mr. Kendall. My mind's made up. Today is the final straw. Miss Jones, think of the schoolhouse in Rottenhead Gulch. 
You know, it was rather touching. They've built a schoolhouse for me here in Goose Creek as well. The floor isn't quite as good, but... They need you, Miss Jones. You think so? I do. Look at them. They are like children, aren't they? (laughs) Very much like children. I think perhaps you're right, Mr. Kendall. But I wonder what the school district board will think. Well, I imagine a joint petition from both towns ought to settle the problem. Yes. Yes, very likely. All right. If the men will agree to your plan... I'm sure they will. All right. I'll stay. Mr. Kendall. Yes? While I was being held captive, a rather terrible thought occurred to me. It is the education that I can give them, isn't it? I mean, there are no baser thoughts involved. Perhaps because I am a woman? Miss Jones, were it not for the fact that I have already completed my school and university curricula... I should not hesitate to avail myself of the opportunity to better my education. Thank you, Mr. Kendall. You've relieved my mind. The matter was settled most amicably, and readers of the London Times will be interested to know that an extraordinarily pretty woman by the name of Miss Annabella Jones is now entrusted with the education of some 53 adults and two children in the mining towns of Goose Creek and Rottenhead Gulch, in Wyoming Territory. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Jack Crucian, Virginia Gregg, Vic Perrin, Jack Moyles, Harry Bartell, and Eddie Firestone. This episode of Gunsmoke proves no gambling stakes were too high along the frontier. For thrill upon thrill, hear what happens in the pioneer days of Dodge City when a man's life hangs upon the outcome of a horse race. That's on CBS Radio's Gunsmoke later on today. Join us again next week for another report from The Frontier Gentleman. Dan Coverly speaking. was originally played on CBS back on June the 1st in 1958. That was The Frontier Gentleman. And the name of that episode was School Days. Don't you think that people would enjoy listening to that again? You know, something that's going on that's kind of exciting right now is podcasting. I have discovered a number 
of podcasters that are doing radio dramas or radio plays or storytelling that radio was not able to do anymore because anything they put on the radio pretty much has to appeal to a mass audience. And apparently these don't. Podcasters don't have the same uh, restrictions. And uh, maybe I'll share some of those. I I sent out a letter to uh, the people on my email list. Why don't you go into the oldtimeradioshow.com and join the email list. You can download the Gunsmoke scripts when you do that. And I'm going to be recommending some podcasts that you can listen to for free that are new. And they're very good. Uh, they Many of them are doing 15, 20-minute uh, radio dramas. And they have great sound effects, good acting. And it's, it's really fun to think that maybe uh, the genre is not dead. It certainly uh, died at an inopportune time back in 1958, 59, 60, right in there, because Frontier Gentlemen was one of the best shows that was ever produced. We'll have more Frontier Gentlemen in the weeks ahead. Chester is telling me that we have a uh, caller. Hello, caller. This is Bob Rowe on Boomer Boulevard. Who am I talking to, please? Yeah, Bob. Yes, hello. Yeah, this is Cecil Fleff, and I'm calling you from Warsaw, Wisconsin. Cecil Fleff? F-L-E-F-F? No, it's spelled P-H-L-E-F-F. Cecil Fleff. And I just want to tell you how much I enjoy your show. It's a really good show. Well, thank you, Cecil. I appreciate it. Listen, the reason I was calling that, that Frontier Gentleman there was from 1958. And it was in 1958 when I met my beautiful wife. And we've been married. We got married in 1959 on this date. So it's our anniversary, and I was trying to think of something special. And I was wondering if you could call her up and play our song for her. Well, that's kind of an unusual request. Uh, yeah, I, 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 what's the song? It's All in the Game by Tommy Edwards. Oh, yeah, that was a big hit in 1958, wasn't it? It was our song, Bob. I mean, to tell you, that song brings back a lot of memories. Very, very pleasant memories. Well, Cecil, tell you what. You give, uh, I'll just hand you back over to Chester, and you give Chester the phone number. You got it, Chester? Okay. Chester's nodding. And now he is uh, dialing. Tell me when you get her on the line, uh, Chester. She's on the line now? Oh, okay. Uh, Yes, hello. Is this Mrs. Fleff? Yes, uh, this is Millicent Fleff. How can I help you? Uh, Mrs. Uh, Fleff, I, if I can call you Millicent. Millicent, this is Bob Bro from Boomer Boulevard. And I was just talking to your husband on the other line. He put in a request for a song that he wanted me to, to play for you. Oh, Cecil's, Cecil's on the other line? Yes, and in fact, uh, after I play the song, maybe we can all get on on the line together, and, and you can tell him wh- what you think of this. Oh, oh, that, you know, we listen to your show all the time, Bob. Oh, that's so sweet. What a dear, dear man. Oh, I bet I can guess the song he's going to play. Well, he said this is a very special song for the two of you, so here it is. I'm going to play it right now, and I hope you enjoy it. This is dedicated to Millicent from Cecil. Many a tear has to fall But it's all in the game 
that was dedicated to you by your loving husband Cecil. That's the uh, that's the song that he dedicated to me. That's the that's the song that uh, he thought would be very special to me. Yeah. Why that? Get him on the line, would you? Uh, Chester, could you put Cecil back on the line? You uh, you there, Cecil? Thank you, Bob. Oh, that that song brings back such romantic memories. Ah, oh, thank you so Why, much. Why, you big creep? That's not our song. That was your first wife's song. Oh, my God, that's right. Oh, I thought you were going to play Going Out of My Head by Little Anthony and the Imperials. Uh, uh, nah, listen, I don't ever... Why don't you just go back to jail where you came honey, from, sweetie. you big creep? I don't ever want to see you again. Millie, don't ever come back by sweetie. this house again. You better... Oh, my goodness. Well, that was a uh, big song in, uh, in 1958. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. And to uh, Cecil and uh, Millicent Fluff up there in Wausau, Wisconsin, we uh, wish you a very, <clears throat> very happy anniversary. To Cecil and Millie. 
something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> well, on our comedy corner this week, we've got a really funny episode of the Jack Benny Show. It originally was broadcast on CBS back on May the 15th, 1955. This one's got all of the the gang in it. It's all about Jack going down to Union Station to uh, uh, see an old friend, and uh, it's got all of the regulars. It's got the great bit with Sheldon Leonard that I love so much. It's got Mel Blank doing the announcing at the train station. It has Mr. Kitzel. It has Frank Nelson, and it's just a really fun episode. So here we go from May the 15th, 1955. Jack goes to Union Station on the Jack Benny Show. Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, let's turn the clock back to Wednesday and go out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills. It's morning, and at the moment, Rochester is busy cleaning the den. Oh, it's a long, long time, from June to September, but when you haven't been back, there's much to remember. I better empty the bag. <laughs> Mr. Benny's residence stars stage, screen, radio, television, and mambo lessons from six to eight. <laughs> you can skip the commercial, Rochester. This is Susie. Oh, Susie. Hi, honey. Don't honey me. I haven't heard from you all week. All week? Uh, I called you the night before last. You did? Yeah, you weren't home and I talked to your mother. That's funny. I wonder why she didn't tell me you called. Maybe she didn't recognize my voice. <laughs> oh, Rochester, come now. <laughs> you know the truth, honey, I meant to call, but I forgot. It doesn't matter, Rochester, because we're going to have to stop seeing each other anyway. The way we're going, we'll never get married. Well, Susie, I know it's discouraging. But I promise we'll get married just as soon as Mr. Benny gives me a raise. I wouldn't wait that long for Sugar Ray Robinson. <laughs> but, Susie... You should have had a raise years ago. I know, but there's always something that takes priority. Like this week, Mr. Benny's having the living room decorated. You mean he actually went out and hired a painter? Yeah, Mr. Benny's in the living room with him right now. 
Now, paint that corner. Now, get the ceiling above it. Now, get the wall. Get the wall. Yeah, get the wall. yeah, get yeah, the wall. yeah. The wall, the wall. Now, get the top of the window sill. The top of the all window right, sill. All right, all right, the sill. Now, <laughs> now, more on the top. The top, the top. Good, good. Now, get the other window sill. The other one. The other I'm one. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Boy, oh, boy. That's the last time I ever take a job by the hour. <laughs> Get the wall, get the wall, get the corner. Not, not, not a sill, not a sill. It, it's bad enough that you talk me into working for half of, of what I'm supposed to charge. But I can't stand being hounded like this. Who's hounding you? You mean to tell me you've never had customers that, that took an interest and made suggestions? Yeah, but you're the first one that ever stayed up here on a ladder with me. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't realize. Well, you keep working. I'll, I'll let you alone for a while. Okay, but would you do me a favor? What? This time when you leave, don't put on those fast records. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> I... You know, I just wanted to entertain you. Entertain me? During the flight of the Bumblebee, I finished two walls. <laughs> Smart Alec. He better watch his step or I'll report him to the union for working below scale. <laughs> I wonder why I always get... Hello? Hello, Jack. This is your little old piano player, Charlie Bagby. Well, Charlie, how are you? That's what I called about. I don't think I'll be able to make the show Sunday. I caught a cold. A cold, eh? Gee, that's too bad. What are you taking for it, Charlie? Oh, the usual thing. <laughs> well, how do you feel? Fine. I can hardly walk. <laughs> Wait a minute, Charlie. Have you been drinking? Well, it's not my fault. The doctor told me to take two fingers of cognac. Well? I drank three whole bottles, and it hasn't gone to my fingers yet. <laughs> now, Charlie, don't try to tell me that you're just following the doctor's orders. Oh, yes, I am. Now, wait a minute. Look, Charlie, there isn't a doctor in town who tell you to drink liquor for a cold. I know. I had to go all the way to Pismo Beach before I found this one. <laughs> I thought so. You know, Charlie, some of these hang days... Up. Now it's time for my medicine. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye. <laughs> he's so happy when he's sick. <laughs> Gee, I'm glad he only has a cold. I'll never forget that month he staggered through pneumonia. <laughs> When they finally put him in an oxygen tent, it exploded. <laughs> but he's a pretty... Now, oh, there's the dog. Papa loves mumbo. Mama loves mumbo. Hello, Mr. Benny. Rochester, bring me an aspirin. What's the matter? Have you got a headache? Hello, Rochester. Oh, 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 oh! I'll 
get you one, boss. <laughs> Come on in, Dennis, and close the door. Now, what's on your mind, kid? Oh, I just came over to bring you a piece of my birthday cake. Birthday cake? Well, that was very thoughtful of you, Dennis. I saved it from my party. Here. Oh, gee. Green icing. Tastes good, too. Mmm. Mmm. I never ate green icing before. So your birthday is today, huh? No, six months ago. You mean this cake is six months old? It was chocolate when I bought it. <laughs> Dennis, why in the world would you bring me a cake six months old and all covered with mold? Well, that's the stuff they make penicillin out of. For what? You need all the help you can get. <laughs> Cut that out! Now, Dennis. Boss, here's your aspirin. I don't need it. The penicillin cured me. <laughs> Rochester, take this cake, stick a label on it, and put it in the medicine cabinet. What? Never mind. Come in. Well, hello, Jack. Oh, Don, come on in. Don, there's no rehearsal today. What are you doing around here? Oh, I just dropped by to return this garden hose I borrowed from you last week. My garden hose? Oh, you won't be needing it? Not anymore. I found a belt my size. <laughs> There was no rush. You could have worn the hose a while longer. I know, but it tickles when you turn the water off. <laughs> well, that makes sense, I guess. Here's today's mail, boss. Oh, thanks, Rochester. But, Jack, isn't that paint I smell? Yeah, I'm having the living room redecorated. You'll never recognize it. Oh, really? What color's it going to be? Well, the ceiling will be sort of an off-white, you see, and three of the walls are going to be beige. Uh-huh. And what are you doing with the fourth wall? Nothing. That's what we saved for advertising. <laughs> Rochester. Remember the year Madman once took the ceiling? Rochester, <laughs> stop being funny. If you'll excuse me a second, Don, I just want to glance through my mail. Oh, go ahead, Jack. See what I got here. The bill. Another bill. A circular. Hmm. Another threatening letter from Arthur Murray. <laughs> well, he can teach his way. I'll teach mine. <laughs> hey, what's this? A letter from Waukegan. Well, I'll be darned. Hey, fellas. Here's a letter from a pal I haven't seen in 20 years, Stub Wilbur. He was a classmate of mine in high school. No kidding, Jack. Yeah. And he's coming out here for a visit. Let's see. Arriving on the Super Chief at Union Station, 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday the... Hey, that's today. I better get down there. I'll go with you, Jack. Me too. Good. I'll just grab a jacket and we'll go down to the station and meet my friend Stub. <laughs> Gee, with that freeway, we sure made good time getting here. Yeah. Come on, let's go on the station. Train now leaving on track five for Anaheim, Azusa, and Coop Jamunga. (laughs) 
I guess we better go to the south end of the depot to meet the incoming passengers. Yeah, but I better check at the information desk and see if Stubbs trains on time. Huh? Hiya, bud. <laughs> Jack, Jack, isn't that the racetrack tout? Yeah, I'm always bumping into that tout. Look, why don't you and Dennis just browse around while I get the information? Huh? Okay. Well, let's see, where's the information booth? Here? Correction, please. There will be no trip to Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga as previously announced. That train has just been rented to the Fairfax Kitty Park. <laughs> So crowded here. Excuse me. Pardon me. I wonder if I. Hello, Mr. Benny. Why, Mr. Kipson. <laughs> Mr. Kipson, what are you doing here at the station? I'm taking a trip to New York. Well, well, all the way to New York, huh? Yes, and I can see my wife's face now. Boy, will she be surprised. Oh, she doesn't know you're coming. She doesn't know I'm going. (laughs) Mr. Kitzel, don't tell me you had an argument with your wife. Well, it isn't my wife, Mr. Benny. It's our relatives. Your relatives, eh? Yes. Why, are a lot of them living there with you? <laughs> you think this station is crowded? At the last count, 36 relatives came to live with us. 36 relatives? Yeah, 12 of them were taking their word. They haven't got birth certificates. <laughs> oh, I see. What a crowd we got in my house. Every place they're sleeping. On the couches, on the beds, on the chairs, and on top of the piano is my cousin Murphy. <laughs> Murphy, your cousin? He's one of the 12. We're taking his word for it. <laughs> Well, have a nice trip, Mr. Kissel, and look me up when you get back. This is a promise. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Kissel. Attention, please. We have just learned that while coming through Albuquerque, the westbound Sunshine Limited hit a cow and will be delayed several hours. <laughs> Jack, Jack! What is it, Don? Look who I just bumped into. Hey, it's the sportsman, the quartet. Hiya, fellas. Attention, please. Now arriving on track 18, the chief from Chicago. On track 2, the lark from San Francisco. And on track 5, a cow from Albuquerque. I bet that one is really tenderized. <laughs> now, tell me, hey, sportsman, what are you doing here at the station? Oh, I'm afraid they haven't time to talk, Jack. They have to catch a train. Oh, where are they going? To Goldsboro, North Carolina. Why? If you know what we know, then you go where we go, where they grow tobacco. 
about Stubbs train. Come on, I think it's right over here. There's the information booth there. Oh, mister. Mister. Yeah! Are you the information clerk? Well, what do you think I am in this cage? A parakeet with a mustache? Wait a minute. The last time I was down here, they had you behind the ticket counter. How did you get information? I dialed 113. <laughs> now, will you stop that? All I want to know is if the super chief will be arriving on time. Hey, let me see. The California Limited leaves in 15 minutes. The Grand Canyon departs in a half an hour. The Challenger is leaving in an hour and a half. Wait a minute. I want to know about a train coming in. Why do you keep telling me about trains that are leaving? Well, in psychiatry, they call it the power of suggestion. <laughs> uh, look, you still haven't answered my question. When will the super chief be in? In exactly 15 minutes. Thank you. Come on, Don. Oh, wait a minute, Jack. What track does the train come in on? We have to know what gate to wait at. Oh, look, before we leave the window, why don't you ask the man where to go? Okay. Oh, mister. <laughs> mister, could you tell me where to go? once more, I might let you have it. 
never mind. Say, Don. Don, what happened to Dennis? He's right over there weighing himself. Oh, yes. Dennis, what are you jumping on that machine for? Well, I put a penny in, but no peanuts came out. Dennis, that's a weighing machine. It's a scale. When you put a penny in, a little card comes out. There it is down there. Oh, yeah. Hey, gee, look, I weigh 155 pounds. And Dennis, on the other side, is your fortune. Oh, my fortune? Well, let me see. Gee, now they tell me. What does it say? No peanuts. <laughs> well, come on, kids. We better get over to meet the train. Uh, look, Jack, there's plenty of time now. Why don't we go get a sandwich first? Well, there's not that much time. I've got, I, I'm have got. i going to meet the train. Well, I'm going to get a sandwich. You like coming with me, Dennis? Well... Let him go alone, Dennis. You come with me. Okay. Hey, bud. <laughs> bud. Who, me? No, you with the pointed head. <laughs> He means me. Yeah, you. Come here a minute. Well, this is a switch. Look, mister. What are you doing? Uh, I'm going with Mr. Benny. Uh-uh. What? Go with Wilson. Wilson? Why? Well, look at the form. He's always out in front. No, uh, what about Benny? Benny hasn't got a chance. His photo finish was the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> now take my word for it, Bud. Stick with Wilson. Well, come here a minute. Huh? I'm sticking with Benny. Why? Wilson's carrying too much weight. <laughs> He's got everything in the back stretch. Well, okay, I'll see you in the poorhouse. Come on, Dennis, come on. Stop. Stop wasting time. Yes, getting late. Well, I suppose I'd better go with you, too. The Southbound Limited, now leaving for Laguna, Capistrano, San Diego, Tijuana, Acapulco, and Mexico City, I think. Jack, Jack, this is the gate right here. Yeah, sure a lot of people waiting. <laughs> well, I can hardly wait to see Stubb again. Good old Stubb. Yeah, I'll bet he'll be glad to see you, too. Come on, let's edge over a little. I wonder what that kid is crying about. Attention, the super chief is now arriving on track eight. Come on, Mr. Benny, everyone's getting ahead of us. That poor kid, I better see why he's crying. Oh, now, Jack, how can you butt in? You don't even know the kid. Well, I can't just let him cry. <laughs> what seems to be the trouble, Sonny? Did you lose your mommy? Look, I don't know what's wrong, but I wish you'd stop crying. If you give me a nickel, I will. <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. Give it to him. But, Don, I don't even know the kid. <laughs> the people are starting to come up the ramp. All right, kid, here's a nickel. Now you can stop crying and dry your eyes because everything is going to Let's be... Let go of it already. <laughs> oh. oh. Here you are, Dad. Thanks. I didn't think you could do it. 
Jack, do you see your friend? No, I don't. I hope he didn't miss the train. Gee, that's the way he was in school, too. Completely irresponsible. That Stubb Wilbur. I was two years older than Stubb, and he got in the habit of letting me do his thinking for him. Attention, please. Attention. The Loreline now arriving on track five. Loreline? Man, was it foggy. <laughs> Well, there's no sense standing here. Let's go home. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Gee, I'm sorry I dragged you both down here on a wild goose chase. Beg pardon, but could you be of a little assistance to me? Huh? Oh, what can I do for you, sir? Well, I don't see so good anymore. Would you mind reading an address I've got written down here on this piece of paper? Let's see. 366 North Camden Drive. Wait a minute. That's my address. Well, Jack Benny. Stop. Stop Wilbur. <laughs> Gee, it's good to see you. Come on, Stubb. We got a lot to talk over. Here, I'll carry your bag. Never mind the bags. Carry me. <laughs> Gee, it's amazing how old you can get when you don't lie about your age. Come on, everyone. Let's go home. Every minute, day and night, a destructive fire starts. And in nine out of ten cases, most fires start because someone was careless. Don't let that someone be you. Be sure your electrical wiring is properly installed. Put cigarettes and matches out before you discard them. Be on guard constantly against fire. Remember, only you can prevent fires. Thank you. Gosh, Stubb, isn't it wonderful, your first day in California? Yeah. Uh, can I go to bed now? You want to go to sleep, but it's so early. I know, but I'm so tired of painting this room. <laughs> we just have to finish this ceiling, and then we can go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, sleep. Good night, Stubb. <laughs> by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsberg, George Balzer, John Packerberry, Al Gordon, Al Goldman, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. From May the 15th, 1955, that was the Jack Benny Show. Jack goes to Union Station. Just a couple quick program notes, um, Earl Muntz, Earl Mad Mad Muntz, was a um, entrepreneur out in Southern California. We've talked about him before. He he sold automobiles and he also sold electronics. I got to know him a little bit, at, at least in a business sense, met him several times, and he, he knew me by name, and, and uh, he was just a nice guy. This was when he was selling electronics up in the valley, and... Um, he died in 1987. But anyway, he did these crazy television commercials where he would don 
you know, funny costumes and things. And he was one of the originals, I guess, in, in TV that would do that, you know, local business owners that would take on personas and the people got to love them. So that was Earl Madman Muntz. By the way, he was a brilliant businessman <laughs> and, and, and very, very successful. Uh, just a quick mention, did you notice how Dennis mentioned the freeway? Oh, we got here to Union Station fast on the freeway. Well, freeways were brand new in 1955, and uh, some of the ones around downtown L.A., they probably came in on either the, probably the Hollywood freeway. Anyway, just a note, and the Lurleen. The Lurleen was a uh, passenger liner that made regular trips from Los Angeles to uh, Honolulu. By today's standards, it would have been a very small ship, but uh, back then it was uh, considered a big luxury liner. In fact, there was even uh, one or two episodes where Jack was on the Lurling. One other thing, um, he mentioned Fairfax Kitty Park, and I, I looked that up. I don't remember anything about Fairfax Kitty Park growing up in the L.A. area, and I don't know what that was a reference to. So if anybody knows, could you could you send me an email? Just send it to Bob at uh, theoldtimeradioshow.com or Bob at boomerboulevard.com. Either one, it'll get to me, and I'd appreciate it. transport ourselves back to Dodge City, Kansas. Patrol Front Street with Marshal Matt Dillon and his sidekick Chester. We're going to meet Doc and Kitty and the whole gang on this episode of Gunsmoke. And we've got a good one tonight, originally broadcast on CBS on August the 26th in 1956. This one is about a group of men that come into town and want to buy the Long Branch. It features uh, John Daner, Lawrence Dopkin, Vic Perrin, Harry Bartell, the usual gang of suspects. Of course, we've got William Conrad as Matt, Parley Bear as Chester, Howard McNear as Doc, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty. This one was written by John Meston, and it's a good one. So here we go. 
let's listen to Gunsmoke and the episode entitled No Sale. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Hello, Matt. Chester. Hello, Kitty. Oh, Miss Kitty. I'm looking for your partner, Kitty. Oh, Sam? Mm-hmm. He's in back breaking out a shipment of whiskey we just got. Sit down. He'll be here in a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> Sam in trouble, Matt? Oh, no, Kitty. I just wanted some information from him. It's nothing important. Well, that's good. Who are those two men? I don't know. They're strangers to me. That one wearing a gun, I'd like to keep a stranger. Hey, where is the owner of this place? You don't look like he's going to make nobody happy. Hey. Uh, excuse me. Let Sam take care of him, Kitty. Well, that's my job, too. Go get the owner, miss. We want to talk to him. I'm one of the owners. You? What is it you want? Well, we can't do business with no woman, Breeze. And what's wrong with doing business with a woman, mister? Well, it ain't fitting, that's all. Well, what's going on, Kitty? You the real owner here, mister? Mr. Kitty and I own it together. What can we do for you? My name's Tom Brees. This here is Red Temple. I'm Sam Noonan. They say this saloon's worth about $15,000. Is that right? I guess that's about right. Why? We want to buy it. What? They said we want to buy it. We'll give you 10000 cash. You just said yourself it's worth fifteen. I hadn't finished. We'll give you ten thousand now, five thousand a year for the next two years. That makes twenty thousand in all. You'll give us twenty thousand dollars? Go check at the bank. The first ten's on deposit there right now, and your banker, Mr. Botkin, will have the bill of sale drawn up by tomorrow morning. You're awful sure of yourself, aren't you, Brees? Now, Kitty, all they want to do is give us twenty thousand dollars. Where are you men from, anyway? Abilene. We come in on the Santa Fe this morning, and our money is good. This is kind of sudden, but $20,000... Well, what do we want to sell for, Sam? This is a good business. Sam knows a good deal, miss. Trust him. Sure, if it's legitimate, why not? Well, I don't know. Look, 
Why don't you two talk it over and we'll come back in the morning and settle everything. And we'll talk it over, all right. Sam can't sell without me. Oh. Well, you listen to him now. He knows what he's doing. We'll see you in the morning. Come on, Temple. He's right, Kitty. We'd be crazy not to sell at that price. I'll sleep on it, Sam. Sure, sure, you do that. But come on out back for a minute. I want to show you that new whiskey we ordered. All right. Uh, I'm going out back for a minute, Matt. Okay, Kitty. Well, I'll be doggone. What do you make of that, Mr. Dillon? Sounds like a good deal, don't it? Yeah. If, like Sam said, it's legitimate. I just ate and I'm still hungry. But it's a nice morning, though, ain't it, Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Nice enough to get Kitty out bright and early. What? Oh. <laughs> Say, she looks mighty pretty, don't she? Mm-hmm. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Miss Kitty. Well, are you in business or out, Kitty? In. I told them this morning I'm not selling. Oh, no? well. How's Sam feel about it? Sam's hardly speaking to me. <laughs> How bad? Well, what decided you? Uh, I honestly don't know, Matt. Maybe I just don't like those two. And I don't like their big hurry, either. They insist the deal has to be settled by Wednesday, day after tomorrow, no later. So I told them I needed more time, that's all. But they can't wait, so I made a definite no. Well, it's your right, Kitty. It sure is. Well, drop around later, huh? Okay. So long, Miss Kitty. Bye. Well, that's that. Yeah. Hey, look, Mr. Dillon. What? Them two fellows. You think they're fixing to follow her? It won't do them any good. When Kitty makes up her mind, she doesn't often change it. Marshal Dillon. Uh, hello, Brace. Temple. How'd you know our names? I've heard. Oh, through Kitty Russell, no doubt. Do you want to see me? You see, you're a good friend of Kitty's. Yeah, that's right. She tell you about turning down our offer? She mentioned it, yeah. She's making a mistake, Marshal. Well, I think it's up to her what she does, don't you? Oh, sure, sure. Maybe you could kind of change your mind. What? By Wednesday. There's a thousand dollars in it for you. Better take it, Marshal. I had, huh? Tell me something, Temple. Is that more or less than he's paying you? Hmm? Hey, now, look at Easy, here. easy, Temple. What do you say, Marshal? I don't know what your game is, Brace, but if I find out and I don't happen to like it, you're going to be in trouble. Both of you. Come on, Temple. Yeah. We'll meet again, Marshal. Anytime. My goodness, they're going to bear watching, ain't they? Yeah, they sure are. Number nine. Go ahead, Temple. Knock.
What do you want? We want to talk to you, Kitty. In private. Now, look here. Just be quiet. What do you think you're doing, busting into my room Shut like up, this? else you'll get hurt. Oh, so that's it. I should have known you were nothing but a hired gun when I first saw you, right, Temple. You quiet. Let go of me! Hit me, I'll show you. Ah, oh, Temple, now hold it. Leave her alone. She slapped me. I said leave her alone. Yeah. <sighs> you later, Kitty. Kitty, you listen to me. I'm going to make it real short. Then you're through now. Get out of here. We're going to buy the Long Branch, Kitty. And we're going to buy it before Wednesday. No, you're not. Okay, Kitty. You were right about Red Temple. He is a gunman. So? You're going to have him shoot me? No, no. Your partner, Sam Noonan. You wouldn't dare. But if you go to the marshal or anybody else about it, he'll shoot you, too. It'd be a pleasure. No. Look. You can't do anything to Sam. We'll kill him. That's all. Think it over, Kitty. Think it over hard. Evening, Marshal. Hello, Sam. Well, did you hear the news? Oh, what news? Kitty. She's changed her mind. We're going to sell the Long Branch after all. You are? Here, ask her. You tell him, Kitty. Well, about selling? It's true, Matt. Why should I turn down all that easy money? I was just being stubborn, I guess. Well, you had to think it over some, Kitty. I understand that now. But at least it's your decision. Nobody pushed you into doing it. No. Uh, come by tomorrow afternoon, Marshal. Drinks will be on the house. Tomorrow? Well, after we get through signing the papers at the bank. We're going to have a little celebration. I'll see you then. Okay, Sam. Uh, Kitty? Hmm? How come you changed your mind? You really want to know? Well, if you want to tell me. I did it for a friend, Matt. I did it for Sam. Good morning, Matt. It's past noon, Doc. Well, yeah, then it's time to go eat some dinner. All right. As soon as Chester gets back from the depot. Depot? He go to meet somebody? No, Chester meets everybody who comes in. But his excuse is that he's picking up the mail. <laughs> oh, sit on, Doc. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Oh, that's Say, you know, Dodge ought to put Chester on the payroll as a kind of official greeter. Yeah. yeah he'd like that. <laughs> he wouldn't either. But it's kind of funny. He welcomes him. Makes them feel at home. And then you come along and look them over and run half of them back out of town again. <laughs> well, maybe that's why I'm not as popular around here as I might be. Well, lawman isn't supposed to be popular, man. Not if he's doing his job right. No, I guess so. You know, practically everybody has something on his conscience, Doc. Yes, that's true. Yeah, even of me. Oh? Uh, you, uh... Want to tell me about it, or wait till I find out and come after you, huh? Well, um... Uh, no, I'll wait. I'll <laughs> it'll kind of give you something to think about on rainy afternoon. Okay, Doc. 
Well, hello, Doc. You here? No, I'm not, Chester. Oh, a friend of yours in town, Mr. Dillon, I met him down at the depot. Oh, who, Chester? Glenn Horn. Do you remember him? Uh, sure I do. One of the richest gamblers in Abilene. What's he doing here? He didn't say. Oh, where is he? He went to the Dodge house. He said he'd be by later. Oh? Uh-huh. Glenn Horn doesn't travel for pleasure. I think I'll go see him right now. Glenn, the whole thing begins to make sense, doesn't it? Yes, it sure does, but I don't like being taken for a fool, Matt. And I won't be in the middle on any kind of a crooked game. You never have, I know of. I don't even know this pair, this uh, Brees and Temple. The game works better for them that you don't. I'll admit I was talking some about my plans, but I never thought anybody'd try a trick like this. Anything for a dollar, Glenn. I suppose you've got some fool law here against shooting people. Well, you take him back to Abilene and shoot him. I'd rather have Bill Hickok worry about it. No, I'm serious, man. Now, you leave the fighting to me, Glenn. If there is any. Do you think his Red Temple's much of a gunman? Well, you never know till it happens. But if we handle it the way we plan, maybe there won't be any shooting. Men like them never give up easy, man. Well, let's find out. You ready to go? I'm ready for anything. Come on. Just started celebrating, Marshal. What'll you have? Ah, you can draw me a beer, Sam. Coming right up. The deal's all set, huh, Kitty? Signed and sealed, Matt. Uh-huh. Hello, Breeze. Temple. Marshal. Sam and Kitty have 10,000 cash in the bank, Marshal, and I've got the bill of sale. Right here. Ah, that's fine. Breeze? Mm. Glenn Horn. Hmm? He got here just right, didn't he? <laughs> Sure did. Let me handle this now. Yeah, yeah. Who is he, Matt? Wait a minute. Well, Marshal Dillon. Hello, Mr. Horn. What are you doing here? Oh, just business. How you been, Marshal? Oh, fine, thank you. Oh, this is Kitty Russell, uh, Glenn Horn. How do you do, Kitty? Hello. Here's your beer, Marshal. Oh, thank you, Sam. Uh, Sam, this is Glenn Horn. Sam Noonan. Hello, Sam. Have a drink. We're celebrating. No, thanks. I'm taking the train back to Abilene in a few minutes. What do you say? Shut up, I thought you were here on business, Mr. Horn. Well, I was, Marshal, but I've changed my mind. Matter of fact, I was going to make an offer for the Long Branch here. You were going to buy it? Well, I was going to try to buy it, Miss Kitty. I guess I told everybody in Abilene about it. I even told them I was going to offer 15000 for it. Hey, excuse me, Mr. Horn. My name's Brees. My partner there is Red Temple. Hey, we just bought the Long Branch. Well, that's fine, Mr. Brace. I wish you good luck with it. Yeah, you haven't really changed your mind, have you? Yes, I've decided I prefer Abilene to Dodge. I don't know why I was thinking of moving anyway. Yeah, but it's for sale. Uh, we'll sell it to you, maybe even for 14000 You'll do what? You'll stay out of this. No, it's no use, Mr. Brace. My mind's made up. Goodbye, Miss Kitty. Goodbye. Sam. Goodbye, Mr. Horn. Good to see you again, Marshal. Yeah, I'll look you up in Abilene sometime. Bye. 
We can't let him go, Breeze. He means what he says, Temple. Okay. Sam, I got something to tell you. What? Here's the bill of sale. You can have it back. What do you mean? We've changed our minds, too. We want our money. What's going on here, anyway? Deal, deal's off. We want our money. We're going back to the bank and get it right now. But you can't do that. Yes, we can. Wait a minute, Temple. I want to explain Marshal, just you keep out of this. Not likely. What is it, Matt? It's real simple, Kitty. Glenn Horn was thinking of offering 15000 for the Long Branch, and these two heard about it. So they bought it for 10000 and were going to make a fast $5,000 profit on it. But they were going to pay us another 5000 a year for two years. Yeah, if you could find them. Men like them can disappear pretty easy. Rotten crooks. I should have known. You forgetting something, Kitty? All right, Temple. I haven't said anything. Oh. So that's it, huh? They've been threatening you, Kitty? No, Matt. You're looking at me, Temple, and you keep looking at me. Shoot him, Temple. I'd do it, Marshal. Nobody else is armed, Temple. I guess it'll have to be me. Hmm. You first, anyway. <laughs> You killed him. You should have hired a better gunman, Breeze. You can't touch me. I ain't done nothing illegal. No, but you're leaving town after we go to the bank. What? You want your money back, don't you? Kitty, you and Sam come along, too. Glenn Horn is waiting there with 15000 if you still want to sell. No. No, that ain't fair. Breeze, you're lucky to get out of this alive. Now you keep quiet. Well, you too, you still want to sell? But I ain't even going to the bank, Marshal. After this, I'm leaving all such matters with Kitty. Good. Then we're still going to be running this place, Sam. Let's go, Matt. moment, our star, William Conrad. How can we make America a better place to live? First, we must keep our own homes in good condition. That goes without saying. Secondly, we must clean up slums. Slums hurt everyone, not only those who live in them. If there's a slum near you, it lowers the value of your house. If there's a slum anywhere, it breeds delinquency and crime, which you pay for in higher taxes. What can you do? Well, some slums are beyond repair and should be torn down but some can be rehabilitated. Right now, local groups may be at work in your town seeking adequate housing for all our people. Find them. Join them. Write to Action. Action is the American Council to Improve Our Neighborhoods. It's a new national nonprofit organization designed to give you the information you need to protect the housing health of your community. Send for Action's free booklet. Write today to Action, Box 20, Radio City Station, New York 20, New York. This has been a CBS Radio public service announcement. And now, William Conrad. You know, on the frontier, most men, even the gunfighters, wore only one gun. Because they felt if you couldn't get the job done with five bullets, you shouldn't get in arguments to begin with. And that was the West. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, 
with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Lawrence Dobkin, Vic Perrin, and Harry Bartell. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. August 26, 1956, the name of that episode was No Sale, as heard on Gunsmoke. Another episode of Gunsmoke next week. And remember, if you like Gunsmoke as much as I do, you can listen to every episode of Gunsmoke I have ever played on the oldtimeradioshow.com. They're all free, and I just updated the website. So now it has every show I have done through... Uh, the last show in February. I, I haven't uploaded this one yet. By the time you're listening to this, perhaps I will have already done so. So do give a listen to the oldtimeradioshow.com. Join our mailing list and get those unique Gunsmoke scripts that are so much fun to read along with as you listen to some of the episodes. Oh man, I just, uh, I set my microphone, I have a bay window here overlooking the woods, and we're up on a hill, and there's a road that goes by and just all kinds of trees, and they're all covered with snow from previous snows we had uh, earlier in the week that were just about gone, and now it is snowing again, and let me tell you, it is beautiful. As much as the cold and the snow inconvenience us and uh, drive us crazy sometimes it there's no question that it's beautiful gene shepherd used to talk about the snow and the winters when he was growing up there in uh, northern indiana one of my favorite snow stories of his winter stories i guess i should say had to do with a bushel of apples i'm going to play it for you now he originally told this on wor late one night in new york city and this was next to the last night of the year in 1965. How many times when, uh, have, do you, have you ever looked back on your life and thought about a fantastic, unbelievable, senseless trek or hang-up that you have had that you cannot explain at this moment? Something you wanted so tremendously or some insane thing that you decided to do and you carried through in spite of the fact that the car sank in 40 feet of water 
that you had to swim 14 miles through raging seas. Uh, <laughs> you, just, you just were driven beyond something you couldn't understand. Just, and I, and I, when I, when I look around, you know, I walk down the street and I see some a fantastically, uh, uh, ugly car. And I see it go past. It's got giant fins and it's got chrome all over it and the hi-fi is playing and it's got a monogram on the side and, you know, he's compounding the felony. And I see the guy sitting in there. I realized that, that at one moment in time, this guy must have had a real hang up. A real hang up on something that he could not stop. He had a hang up on getting this ugly car. Now he didn't know it was ugly at the time. Uh, that's the problem. See? Now, I wonder how many guys right now listening to the show, and chicks too, incidentally, are living with somebody because of some unbelievable hang-up they got at one time that they can't even remember why it happened. All they know is that for the rest of their lives, for maybe 40 years, they've been swimming through raging seas. <laughs> they've been they've been battling icebergs and tornadoes, and they cannot understand what happened. It was that moment. Well, this is what Herman Melville's Captain Ahab epic slash Moby Dick uh, Fantasia is about. Uh, this is something that Melville recognized that hang up. Uh, that now he just made it into a big hang up, you know. He just made it big, and he put in religion and mythology and all the rest. Of, but it's yet it's all in everybody's hang, everybody's little moment there. Everybody's been Ahab at one point or another. And and I and I'll, I will I will have to tell you about the time that I was Ahab. Uh, I was about the oh I maybe eleven, and it was during Christmas vacation, which is a bad time. You know that, that psychologists will tell you that more murders, more, more acts, atrocities are committed, more guys. Have you noticed how many houses are burning? If you, if you listen to the news, houses are burning down all over the place. Well, it's because of the time of the year. People, uh, people are, there's a great unrest settles into the human spirit at that time. The first of the year, uh, uh nostalgia for for who knows what, <laughs> excessive joy, cheering, whoopee, the whole business, all of it's part of the one, two-week period of almost totally repressed and, and, and nobody, insanity, one kind, nobody can is totally immune from it, although he thinks he is, he's listening, so what is he talking about? And at the same time, he's pulling straws out of his ear. Uh, what do you mean, what is he talking about? You know what I'm talking about. And so I'm a kid one time, and I'll tell you, it was right after Christmas. And it's a Midwestern winter. Uh, the snow is four feet deep. And the wind is howling through the eaves outside. And the ice, icicles are hanging down all the way to the ground. And it's that, it's that period of letdown after Christmas. You know, a kid is, oh, well, you know, Christmas has come and gone. Now it's just, he's got a full week before school starts again. It's going to be New Year's. And uh, he's already tired of the BB gun. He's had it already with the with the fire truck. He's he's uh, played the Monopoly enough. Now it's coming out of his ears, and he's fooling around, and itching. And I am I am sitting around the house itching. Now we had this. Uh, you probably have, uh, get these things too, where they come around the local uh, merchants, uh, the the local stores, throw away these throwaways of the ads of. Uh, a big sales, food ads, food sales, and a big uh, post-Christmas sales 
big uh, New Year's Day turkey sales and all that stuff. Well, I go struggling out to the porch to get the mail in the middle of this howling gale. And I come struggling back, and with me is this uh, this this flyer. And it's it's for a store that was about two and a half miles away from our house. Way down, I mean about two and a half, maybe three miles away, uh, in the next town as a matter of fact. And I, I'm looking through this thing just sitting there, and they had an ad in there. A bushel of apples for 45 cents. Now, I remember it distinctly, the price of everything. Now, don't ask me why a bushel of apples for 45 cents. But it was a bushel of apples. It said a special Christmas sale on winter apples. 45 cents a bushel. So I'm thinking about this. And my kid brother is under the day bed. He's weak, you know, he's yelling and hollering, whimpering. And I drag him out. And uh, I put on my earmuffs. And I tell him to get on his helmet with the goggles. And I put on my high tops. And we go out into the snow and next door at the Bruner's house. And I get Bruner out. And the Bruner and myself, my kid brother, and at about 15 minutes flick, are all standing in the driveway up to our eyebrows in frozen, rotten, cruddy, dirty, blast furnace snow. The temperature is seven below zero. And I say... Let's surprise our mothers. Let's go and get a bushel of apples for 45 cents. Well, I had a dollar that had been given to me by my Uncle Tom for a Christmas gift. And so I figured I would, what a fantastic surprise, to bring home a bushel of apples. Now, don't ask me why. I know it's a silly question, silly thing to do. Don't ask me why. And so my kid brother, and the flick says, well, how do we get there? And the Bruner says, how do you expect to get over there? And this was a place that was the IGA store. Do you ever hear the IGA uh, chain stores? Well, the IGA store was a good two miles away. It was in the next town. And I said, we'll take our sleds. Well, we started. We were fighting against a raging gale. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon. And we began along that twisting, evil, ice-encrusted, howl-emblazoned, yes, Finlandia. I'll announce very loudly, you don't play Tiger Rag when you're fighting the gale, Dad. Anyways, I'm glad you asked me. Well, uh, I can understand why Sibelius wrote the way Sibelius wrote. This is the sound of the frozen north, friends. Yes, indeed. Well, after two and a half hours, we had gone maybe one half a mile. Just far enough not to turn back. And just far enough to know we might never make it. The wind howled and it howled. And my kid brother was hanging on to the back of my sheepskin coat. Bruner was limping badly. Flick's nose was running all the way down to his knees. And I said, forward. The madness was on me. Well, we fought the howling winter gale. For I would say a good 
five hours, and I mean five hours, uh, have you ever had frostbitten ears? Well, I have had frostbitten ears. I got them that afternoon. My kid brother had a frostbitten head. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, before we got there, Bruner was frozen solid. We had him lashed to the sled. And, and Flick, believe me, was a sled himself. We were just pulling him along. He had runners sticking out of his ears. And we finally arrived at the IGA store. I'll never forget this. We were unable to walk. We were just walking it like, like stiff with, with ice all over our ears. And the, we came out of this howling gale. And there was the IGA store at long last. It, I, I, it must have been the way, uh, Ahab felt when he saw that big white fluke come out of that water. And I took one look at the IGA store and I says, here we are. It was closed. Closed. Speaking of tragedy, this is W.O.R. Uh, we, we arrived at the IGA store, and uh, we stood there. We got there. It must have been a half an hour after the IGA store had closed. I couldn't believe it. And by this time, you know, there's a certain point in, 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 in uh, I suppose you can call it misery. At a certain point in misery, you don't complain anymore. Are you aware of that? You reach, you reach a point beyond which complaining is gone. You just sit there and you freeze or you burn or whatever it is you're doing and you no longer whimper. You don't say anything about it. And my kid brother was just standing there like a fire plug. He wasn't crying or anything. Flick's nose. It was, just, it was no longer running. It was frozen. It had two long icicles hanging down and, uh, Bruner was just standing there numbly in a snow drift. I could see his eyes sticking out of the snow. And we stood there in front of the IGA store. <laughs> and you think I gave up? Oh, boy. <laughs> I said, let's go on to the A&P. Well, you know, they weren't running 45 cent a bushel uh, sales at the A&P. So the A&P was another four blocks down. So we struggled on to the A&P. And the wind is howling. It's getting dark. Well, we got to the A&P, and it's still open. They stayed open a half an hour longer than the IGA store. And into the A&P, we got just tremendous heat hit us instantly. And that's when they all started to cry. All three of them started to yell and holler. And I go back to the vegetable department, and I said, do you have apples for sale? I said, apples? What do you mean apples? Yeah, there's apples. You know, apples, three for a dime and bigger. They had them all. I said, I want a bushel of apples. A bushel of apples? What do you mean a bushel of apples? And I took out my ad and I showed it to him, 45 cents for a bushel of apples. Well, the manager of this store, I will, I will never forget this because obviously he saw there were four kids with a fantastic hang-up. And he says, well, that's the IGA store. I said, I know. But they're closed. He says, bushel of apples for 45 cents. Well, I know what they're talking about. He says, they're talking about those little horse apples. Those little, I can see them muttering. It's all horse And he goes down to the basement with two kids, and they came back up with a bushel of apples. And they gave me a bushel of apples for 45 cents. Now, I will never forget, every time I walk into the A&P now, I get a vaguely warm glow. And, and they gave me a bushel of apples for 45 cents. And all four of us are holding this. Have you ever carried a bushel of apples when you're 10, you know, and you're frozen? And the four of us have got this bushel of apples. And, and, and I gave them the dollar. 
And the guy gave me back the change uh, for, you know, 55 cents. And he says, well, he said, uh, do you want us to deliver them? I said, no, we're going to take them home. He says, in the snow like this? Where do you live? And I told him, he says, I, you, you, you mean you're going to, are you driving? Well, we got our sleds. You've got your, and it's getting dark. It's about six o'clock out there. Now, you know, it would be like two o'clock in the morning by the time we got back with these, with these crummy apples. And, and the manager of the, of the apple department of the A&P says, well, maybe you better call home. It's for a surprise. He says, it's for a surprise for who? Well, going to surprise our mom. Gee, I don't know what to say. Well, do you think you can get better not? And he called somebody over named George. And George came over to the four of us and he says, uh, we'll take you home in a truck. And they had this big hand feature, giant big green truck and all on the side of it. It said Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company with the red and gold letters. And, and uh, he says, come around to the back. And uh, we came around the back and he says, we're going to take you home. Uh, Mr. Mr. So-and-so has decided that you better go home in the truck and uh, we'll take you home. You say you're going home to Hesville? I said, yeah, mm-hmm. Cleveland Street. But the, what about our sleds? Oh, okay, well, let's pick up the sleds. Well, all four of us got in the back of this truck with our three sleds and a bushel of apples. And they turned around and they drove all the way on back. The guy couldn't believe it. We had gone about three, maybe three miles, close to three miles, in probably the most gigantic snowstorm that had hit this town in years. Well, why? I, I don't know. You know, and, and, and so about a block away, I'm knocking on the door. See, I'm knocking on the back window. And he's in the cab. We're sitting in the back. I'm banging on the window. And he stops. He says, is this where you live? And I says, yeah. We're a block away from home, see. And so he says, okay, kids. He says, boy. Man, he says, gee whiz, wow, what a night. I don't know how you came this far. And so out we go out the back. And I put the bushel of apples on the sled. And I started to tug. And Flick pushed. And Bruner hung on to the back of my coat. And my kid brother is whimpering in the snow drifts. And we went up to the back porch of the house through a block of blinding blizzard. And my mother came on. I says, Ma, I got a surprise for you. And she says, what have you? Apples, a bushel of apples. How wonderful. Oh, for heaven's sakes, where did you get them? A bushel of apples. I said, we got them at the IGA store, Ma. She says, a bushel. And then I showed her the ad. I said, see, look, a bushel of apples. We thought we'd surprise you. And now comes the denouement. We had 4,500 apples, all frozen as hard as you couldn't believe. Have you ever tasted an apple that was frozen and then thawed out? The instant those apples thawed out, they all turned into one gigantic pile of brown mush. But you know, for, for, for years after that, it was like a big thing in the family. It was like the time that I really went out and did it. 
And everyone said, well, do you remember the time Gene went down and got the bushel of apples? Gee whiz. Oh, boy, those were really, that was really something. Wasn't that great how they did that? And we'd say, yeah. And that, that, that to me is, is always, will always remind me of the great hang-up. And it's all, it, I, I realize that, that many adults carry a thing like that all their lives. Some fantastic drive that just never lets them stop. In fact, uh, I suspect that one of the reasons why snow and ice brings out the epic. You know, have you ever, have you ever run across in crossword puzzles what they talk about the Icelandic epics? The Icelandic sagas. Nobody writes sagas in Florida. You just don't write a saga when you're sitting on the beach, you know? It never occurs to anybody sitting in Bermuda to write a saga. It's only with a wind howls and that, that, that Sibelius, that Sibelius sound comes whistling out from, from under, from under the eaves. And you can, you can hear those icebergs clattering one against the other. You're staring off into that gathering gloom of a fantastic, cold, crisp, freezing winter night. That's when the soccer urge is upon a man. That's when the fevered brow of the great Beowulf strides across the land. What a great storyteller. Gene Shepard is originally told on WOR in New York City back on July the, or July, listen to me, December the 30th, 1965. He used to have a nightly show on WOR. He was only on for an hour a night, and it was just him talking. He didn't have guests, or very seldom did he have guests. And he would either tell stories or talk about things that were going on in this city or around the country. Always entertaining. Some shows uh, that are my favorites, because I've probably got a couple hundred Gene Shepard shows in my collection. Uh, my favorites are when he did tell stories. The stories of when he was a kid were great, and also the stories of when he was in the Army are just tremendous. We'll play some in the in, in the future. Next time, I'm going to play a follow-up to, uh, to this story. A little more dramatic and... Uh, it just has Gene Shepard written all over it. But that's for next time. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. In two weeks, we'll come back by here and we will do it all over again. This is Bob Bro, everybody. Take care. Stay warm. I'm so glad you stopped by. And I'm so glad you met me.
out tonight, we just, Chester just handed me this last minute dedication. It's from Cecil to Millicent, and it says, happy anniversary. And uh, Cecil, I don't know, buddy. I Too little, too late, I, uh, I do believe. Well, I think I'm going out of my head. Yes, I think I'm going out of my head. Over you. Over you. I want you to want me. I need you so badly. I can't think of anything. Walk past me, you don't even know that I Yes, I think I'm 